The Bright Young Things were a group of rich, indulgent aristocrats who, between the two wars, entertained themselves by dressing up, posing, and performing. All this gaiety was caught on camera by the incomparable and controversial Cecil Beaton. One thing is for sure, if they were alive now, all their fun would be had at Claridge's, with cocktails conceived by our guests today. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. Dennis Brozzi makes you feel like a bright young thing with your first step into Claridge's or the Fumar Bar, two of the most glamorous spots in the world. Today, we are celebrating the release of the cocktail book, Cecil Beaton, Mixing with the Bright Young Things, which Dennis, as manager of both the bars at Claridge's, curated with a list of 64 drinks from the 1920s and 1930s, the golden age of cocktails. But first, I had to hear all about Dennis and how he found himself at one of the most iconic hotels of all time. Needless to say, we began with a bee's knees and ended with our cocktail of the week. All right. Um, so I was born in uh, Albania, so north northwest Albania, a small city. Well, it's not a small city. It's a fairly large city uh, called Skodor. So it's very, very close to Montenegro. And um, so I grew up there. And, um, and so I'm one of two. I've got a brother, uh, which is a year and a half younger than me. And... Um, and yeah, so I kind of left when I was seventeen. Oh, so uh, yeah. I, so you had a lot of your teenage years were there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I kind of you know was studying um, until kind of I was seventeen. So then, uh, as of like from sixteen, I started doing a little bit work with my uncle and into. So he owned a restaurant in the right in the center of the city, uh, quite busy restaurant. And um, so I started doing a, a you know mainly to do summer work. So I would go there June, July, August, just doing a bit of work behind the bar. And I've kind of, you know, I, I fell in love, you know, within the first, I think, two, three months of working with him. And it, it was it was more to do with, the, you know, there's two things and I, I still, you know, stand by today. And it was the hospitality element of, you know, hosting people and getting to know them and, you know, building a relationship. So that was the first one. And the discipline. And, you know, he's incredible. I still, to this day, I do things that, you know, looking back at what he was doing. You know, he was in his kind of, um, I would say, mid-50s or, or yeah, late-50s. And he would be there at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, where the bar would open at far, 5. So the team would open the bar. He would be there at 6 and he would work until 2. He'll go home, have lunch with his family, have a bit of a siesta. And then he'll be back at work. Uh, five uh, five o'clock in the evening and be there until eleven, and that was seven days a week, nonstop, all year round. You're going way too quickly. I want to know about all that time before you got to your uncle's. Okay. Okay. So, what were were you interested in studying anything? What was your life like as uh, as a child there? Um, I think I was very outdoorsy person, very and. So I, I would love to go. Um, my dad worked for. Um, he he did many many different things, um, but uh, one of the jobs that he did was was working uh, for a hospital doing X rays and and he specialized. Um, um, 
he specialized on doing x-rays but uh, doing x-rays in in villages that they will not have access to oh. hospitals so from a very young age we would travel with him and it's incredible because we got to see some amazing places where if you ask me now wh- where they are i wouldn't be able to tell you uh, but we we got to connect with a lot of people and and we're we're talking about some poor areas of the country uh, and but they they very the, the hospitality the the that part of hospitality it's it's unbelievable you would have the uh, the older of the village when you'd go in there and they will come in there and really appreciate what my dad and his team were doing for the village which is mainly checking you know if they're healthy um focusing mate like uh, you know on sicknesses like tuberculosis and things like that and we'd be playing around while he's doing his job but then you know you'd have someone going just to let you know you're invited for dinner at our place and so and we'd be staying for two three nights in this particular areas because they're quite remote um and um and then you know and then by the time we'd be t- you know so we'd get to explore a, a small village or a small particular area in the in the mountains and um and you know and then when you re- return back because they don't have kind of money and like a, a way of they them appreciating what the team did they would bring you know like watermelons they would bring potatoes and, and i always said to my dad you know like well, why are we taking this i don't think we need it and my dad was like well you know like these people you know they're so thankful of what we what we're doing for them you know like not taking something it feels like a bit you know you you how do you call it you in, like insulting of course you know, in, in a way so we always came back with a, a truck full of <laughs> fruits and veg that I, I don't think we needed it but um, and but look was, you uh, ended up working yeah, in restaurants and yeah, how funny yeah, yeah. you had um, exposure, exposure to you know the watermelons and ingredients that you might not have had you just stayed in your little town yeah yeah, yeah. but um, and I think you know because of that I think I, I always in my kind of growing up I always be- became quite outdoorsy person so I would love so we have one of the biggest lakes um, in the country it's you know in the city where I'm from and uh, so we would go there from the age of 12 with my friends and you know would spend the whole afternoons and early evenings and but yeah school I, I, you know I, I, I didn't enjoy so much school and then I, as soon as I hit kind of teenage or early kind of you know 13 14 I was more interested in kind of chasing after girls than <laughs> than, uh, than going to school and um, and that's what I think you know for me I, led me to kind of hospitality because I was mm. always looking to do something something else and um and would always stop. So, um, as I explained earlier, my uncle's restaurant was right in the middle of the city. So, whenever we'd go to a lake, we always stop by to have a, you know, in the afternoon we'd stop by and say hello to my uncle, and you know, and he would say, "All right, sit down." And, would it, you know, was it typically um, Albanian food? What kind of things yeah. were, were, was he making yeah, yeah, in the yeah. restaurant? It's, it's you know, it's it's very it's very traditional Albanian. I think it's it wasn't you know anything fine dining, but you know, like you would have like a a burek, which is like a a pastry with you know lots of uh, feta cheese and spinach, and you know Al- Albanian food. You know, because of where we are positioned, it's quite you know. It's like Balkan food, so you always get, you know, like a very a lot of influence from Turkish food, from Greece, and from you know you, you, former Yugoslavia. So like you know all all that kind of put together a little mm-hmm. bit. So a uh, lot of stews, lots of kind of rice with different sauces and lots of meat actually. And when you were working at your uncle's, mm-hmm. were you making the food or no. serving? No, I was doing? I was uh, only behind the bar. It's 
I, I never, it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, I got involved behind the bar. As I said, you know, it originally started as a as a summer uh, summer job, and then all of a sudden, because I, I I loved it so much, I ended up and and this is against my kind of my dad's wish because he was very much like, please go, you know, focus more on school. And I think I, it got to a point where. I think it got to a point where, you know, my my kind of as soon as I got on the college, if you'd call it at when you're at like 16, that mm-hmm. would be a college mm-hmm. the equivalent. Um, we went to one of the best schools in the in the city and it was me and my best friend. But going back to that chasing after girls, we weren't doing as good. And I remember my dad coming back and um, was very disappointed. And he sat me down and, and he said, I, I kind of never felt so disappointed in my life oh, uh, yeah, yeah it was it was, it, it was it was and and but he, he did say kind of you know he said i can't sit but it was one of the most my mom went to that school and she loved it and and that's where my dad met my mom and and um maybe that's why i wanted to go there and but it's one of the most difficult schools one of the best schools in the city and it wasn't for us for sure and uh, so my dad said you know there is two two choices you either change school to something that you know maybe at least you you know, you can get the qualification in there uh, or, or you know, you know, like you stop and you carry on working. Um, and I and I said, well, I want to do both uh, because I still want to, you know. Um, so we, we changed school, both me and my best friend, we changed school. And then, uh, but I, at the same time, I said to my dad, I really love what I'm doing. I said, I would like to ask uh, my uncle for a, for a full-time job. And he was like, are you sure? You know, he, I, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for my dad because he always, from a very young age, he kind of let me do my own choices. He always kind of treated me as a grown-up because, you know, like having that mentality that whatever choice you do, it's going to impact your future. So make sure that it's the of right choice. Of course, it's such a young age. Yeah, you know, make sure you love what you're doing, but at the same time, you know, you're making this decision, you know. Uh, I'm going to advise you, but at the same time, you gotta you got to go with your gut feeling. You know, if you really feel that this is your calling, then, then you know, go mm-hmm. with your gut feeling. So I've started uh, working for my uncle full-time. And um, so once I, when you start full-time... Uh, so No, no, I was going to say, well, behind the bar, what kind of things were you doing even at 16 behind no, the bar uh, so that you liked the, so much? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, in there, I think, you know, I didn't like... It wasn't. It wasn't the creative part, but it was for me. I think at the time it was, it was the the part of you know getting to know people, getting to you know understand what the how the business runs and operates. Um, it wasn't. You know, we're not creating cocktails right. here. You know. I was just wondering but, what kind of things like was it coffee? It was, what it was, what it, type it, of things were people drinking in Albania at that time? It, well, it's still going actually. You know, <laughs> it's you know like most of the bars. If you so if you go to Albania, I mean not, not, things have changed the last twenty one years. But um, especially if you go to a small cities, big cities, apart from if you go to you know the capital where mm. it might be a bit more of a nightlife, but everywhere else. So um, I, I went last time I was there. It was about four or five years ago. But it would be um, uh, a very early opening of the bar. So all the bars are open at five o'clock in the morning. 
So people will have coffee, um, and then there's three spirits that they drink. It's fernet uh, brandy. They call it cognac, but it's brandy. It's not cognac. <laughs> it's because it's produced, but you know, it's produced in. You know, they will have things they are produced in Europe, and and in Albania. And the local, right? Yeah, and in Albania, but uh, yeah, they call it cognac, but it's brandy. Uh, and uh, so for, uh, and grappa grappa is the, the big one. So not in the morning. It, uh, is Rocky. this morning? First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. And, uh, you do a shot and go off to work. No, no, I, I think they sip it. I, I don't, I don't see anyone doing shots there. Oh. They, but they sip it. It's so you know, like everyone would start the morning with an espresso and a, a, a raki, we call right. it raki, uh, fernet or a cognac. And then they, they would normally, so they would do a couple of those. And then after that, <laughs> and then after that, they will normally have you know their breakfast. Uh-huh. Um, breakfast is quite heavy now. You know that I think I, I don't do breakfast, but you know I always find it when I go back. And I was like eating this for breakfast you know it's so heavy and um and then so you you know you'll carry on throughout the day and then you know like between lunch and dinner it's not much happening because everyone you know closes the shops and goes home to the families have lunch a bit of siesta and then in the evening it picks up again and in the evening it's more people that are going out for walks and people meeting friends so it becomes more at leisure thing you know people might have a bit of meze might have a bit more different things but you know it's like main, mainly beers uh-huh. wines uh, so n- no cocktails and um but i think it, I, I really like the 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 element of the, the the discipline that is required and also the hospitality the meeting of the people and getting to know them and and remember what their favorite thing is you know mm-hmm. what, things that we do now that you know like even and you know you just think oh you know like that's that's hospitality you know knowing that when a client comes in and you know you looked after them many times you know exactly what coffee they like so it's on the table as soon as they come in you start preparing it and what drink they like and and you know little things like that um but i remember when i uh, joined for my my uncle and as i said you know he was a very disciplined person and uh, he would be, you know, like now, for example, if I go into a bar, if it's your own business, you know, a lot of people go like signed it off. Whereas my uncle was so disciplined that he would pay for it, even if he had a coffee, he would pay for it because mm-hmm. he knew if anything went wrong or if anything went missing, it's not me. You know, I'm not drinking right. anything. I'm not, you know, so even a coffee, I would pay for it. But I remember, um, so we do stock takes uh, every, so imagine, you know, I'm 16. And I've got my big, so this is like me started at full time. And um, I've done a month working um, working for him. He sits me down and he goes, we just finished the stop take, the variances. And it's a big, so it's about two months of my wages missing. So he goes, you know, you're my, you're my nephew and, you know, we're family and I'll, I'll be there. I'll support you, anything. However, the first month, it's a mistake. Second month, you're out. Imagine telling you that at 16. But I, I really kind of, you know, I, and, and to this day, I still don't like people going around the bushy. If they try to tell me something, just come right. at me with just be straight, you know, just tell mm-hmm. me, get right to the point, you know, because, you know, it's no point going around and around. So and um, and I said, yeah, fair enough. You know, I, I, I have been behind the bar and they have a different um, different. Um, procedure in there so you have the waiters they, they look after the guests and the bartenders look after the bar but anything that needs to come so you can't just go and pay at the bar you have to pay the waiter okay. so the waiter has the money so there is no you know there is no but but the variance was on me and uh, and he just said it's two months he said don't worry so first it's your first month and i and and i said i'm sorry i i can't tell you you know i've done it i've double checked it and 
And um, and then about three weeks later, he just said, "You have time, and you know, um, I would like to have a coffee." So my heart started oh pounding, going, "Oh, oh that now it's, he's just gonna let me go." And you know, I haven't done even two months. And he sits down, he, he gets us a couple of coffees, and and we're talking. He said, "I owe you an apology," and I was like, "Okay." I mean, this is a guy that, that doesn't do apologies, right? <laughs> and uh, so he goes, I, "I I owe you an apology," and and I said. Oh, Okay, what for? And he said, you know, that the, the variances. He said, whoever did the stock take forgot to count about three bottles of very oh, yeah. expensive spirit. <laughs> so it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it, it wasn't. So he said, you know, like the the stock take was perfect, was mm. spot on, and uh, but uh, because of that, I always, you know, and I, I remember going uh, and one of my other uncles, he was he did accounting, so I remember going to him. And saying, you know, I, I I never want to be in that position. So I said, would you be able to explain the PNL and the account? Imagine I was a sixteen. You know, I didn't I didn't call it PNL, but right. what you would call now PNL. And I said, could you explain to me how it works? What you buy in, what you what goes out, and what should be in there? And I remember spending a whole day with him, going through all of this ins and out. And what I would do, you know, the, especially for the first three months, because I said I will never want to be in that position right. that someone tells me I've got stock missing. So you know, for the first few months, I would go in and do stock take two days before he did it and then if everything balanced and if everything was perfect then i i at least i was in the and i'm sure all these uncles were talking to your father Hmm? yeah you know and telling them look he's come to me and is learning accounting and he's you know so they were reporting back really really good things so tell me what happened that after 17 when where did you go so i i um so yeah I, i worked for for a period of um, I think yeah, started very um, beginning seventeen, and I worry I worked for about uh, ten months in there, and um, and yeah, now I was being very, so all my wages I would give to my dad, and I would live just basically on tips because you know at seventeen you don't have any, extra. Right. you don't need you're living any, at home, you're living right. at home, you know everything, and then the tips was quite good, so I used to and and my dad would always say you know you don't need to give me you can it's your money. I would say, yeah, but I, I, you know, like when you're young, if you have it in your pocket, you spend it. So I would give all my wages to my dad. And um, and so I'll just, and he said, okay, whenever you need it, it's there. It's yours, it's there. So I would, and, and after about 10 months, uh, one of my friends kind of just kind of told me I'm, I'm planning to leave. And, you know, like we were, we're talking 97, 98, it was a, quite a few troubles in, in Albania and, and you know, like a lot of young young kids were kind of thinking, what do we do? Do we, you know, have you, is is there enough opportunities? Well, if you're studying, you're you going to university there, you're going to university in the capital, depending. You you specializing mm-hmm. on something, but if you're not studying, you know, then what 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 are you doing? You know, like are you working? Yes, I I know what I'm working, and I, I love this field of work. But where do you go after here? And that there is not many. You know, there right. is hotels. But you have you have the title of hotels that, if they are good, they never in the level where we are right now, and this is where I will always wanted to be, um, and um, and if 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 they are yeah even if they are quite premium at the time you know you'd have the key people that they will never they will always stay there, so when I was yeah just just before I turned eighteen I went to my dad without telling my mom because uh, she. She didn't take that well. So I told my dad, I, I'm planning to leave. 
And it's the first time that I kind of seen my dad's eyes nearly kind of, you know, nearly in tears. Nearly in tears. He didn't cry, but he nearly in tears. And he said, why? And so I had explained. I said, you know, I'm, I'm planning to leave. And I said, you know, like I always wanted to. And my mom's had, had a cousin in, in England, in London. So I said, I'm planning to move to London. And he said, but why Why London? He said, like, why? And I can't tell you. Why? I can't tell you. Even to this day, I cannot tell you why. Because um, so we, you know, he kind of tried to talk me out of it. And, he, you know, we, we, it's always only the two of us, me and my brother. So he said, you know, like for me, families always stays together and stays oh. a bit close. And I, I would want to. And can we look at it, you know, all of us going? And I said, but would you like to go? And he said, no. I said, would you, because by this time he had various businesses and uh-huh. I said, would you like to leave? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't, I've got, you know, the family is here. So I said, well, in that case, I would, I want to leave, you know, and I want to at least try it on my own. So, you know, he kind of, he kind of said, you know, it's very difficult for him. Uh, but, um, but you went said, anyway, I, I, I did it anyway. <laughs> I did it anyway. And, you know, the, the most difficult part was just kind of telling my mom. And, but you uh, knew London. You I knew, knew. You knew I London. I don't know why. That, Did you know anyone who lived in London? No, only my mom's cousin. But okay, uh, we, okay. We, and we, was it easy? Could you just move and live with? Yeah, that I mean, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't easy. I mean, we only stayed a weekend with him, and then, then you know, like we, we. It was uh, me, my cousin, and one of my best friends. Okay, so, so you, so you, they were going with someone. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah, found a flat. Yeah, and yeah. You, did you know? I want. I now you said something which I don't know if you realize. Mm-hmm. You said that you always wanted something like where we are now, yes, which is Claridge's. And did you know that at eighteen? I, I didn't know Claridge's, but you I knew, knew that kind you, of. I, I, I was always, it the hotel or the standard of service? The standard of service, I think, mm-hmm. because I didn't, I didn't knew, and, and I think as we go a little bit further to my career, I didn't knew Claridge's, but I knew that the standard of service could be so much better. The you know the quality of the drinks, the quality of the food could be so even much at eighteen. Better. You knew that, uh, yeah. I, uh-huh. You know, I, I was a. Yeah, very young age, you know. I, I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to work into kind of, you know, something. I'm sure it's something better out there that I could be pushing and, and going towards. And how was your English? Uh, very, very little. Mm-hmm. So you... Completely broken, actually. I, I studied it, <laughs> like, I studied it at school, but uh, again... I was more interested on the on on other things than than the English part. So you landed in London. No, I, I and... we, we traveled a little bit actually. So I, I but, but I mean, the... you got to London. Yeah, you got yeah. to London. Here's all of London yeah. at your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had. Where we had... did you think you were going to start work wise? Uh, we um, so yeah, we we did uh, first of all we did you know Italy, then we did Fra- uh, France and Belgium, then we arrived in London. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like for me, it's always been, the, you know, like when you don't, at the beginning, it's always difficult, you know, wherever you move, even if you move in from New York to mm-hmm. London, you know, uh, you know, I, I always knew that I, I have to do whatever I have to do to to get started. And um, so I kind of started, I did a couple of other jobs for about a year. And uh, the first one was butcher. And then the second one was kind of, I, I worked uh, in a building site. And uh, I was offered to be an apprentice, which sometimes think, well, what would it have been? Because uh, and it was carpenting. And uh, and then after that, I, I you know like I looked at kind of what I'm doing. I know at the beginning it was difficult, and you're trying to. Didn't pick a you bit miss? Didn't you miss family? being behind a bar? No, I, no. I did. I, 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 we'll just take it for granted that you yeah, missed your yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
miss the hospitality the yeah yeah i mean uh-huh. the, the, that's why i think after a year you do miss it but at the same time you have to be realistic you just moved in here you don't speak english and you know you don't have any experience here mm-hmm. you know it's like us you know like when i we we review a cv you know the first thing we say where have they worked here of course so if you have experience elsewhere then we need to is at a similar similar level and so a lot of people you know were thinking you know like you don't have experience you don't have english Fine. so you know my first year was all about you know do some english classes improve so the first six months i was living with my friend and, and you know i very quickly realized because we had lots of friends coming over and very quickly realized if i'm staying here my english is never going to improve right because you're only speaking so, yeah albanian, albanian. Right. so it's it's you know naturalist in mother right, of course. Time. so the first thing that i did after six months i moved out and the house that i moved on, uh, in oh everyone was english not one albanian So I was like, that's the first thing that has gone. Like, Your English must have gone up. So yeah, yeah. it was so, done so know, well that, that, that. You know, but yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was a bit annoying because, you know, whenever you're trying to have a little conversation, you get interrupted every three minutes being corrected. But that's wow. what exactly what I needed. Uh-huh. So that was the first thing that, you know, and then again, you know, you just need a little bit of a vision and what you're working towards. So then after about a year, I just said, I, I need to get, because I was applying, but then, people giving you an opportunity, then it's a di- completely different story. And um, so then after about a year, a friend of mine just told me that he'd registered with an agency and they uh, they could potentially give me an opportunity. So I went and talked to them and, you know, with my broken English, they just said, you know, we can, um, we can give you an opportunity as a kitchen porter. And for me, it was still the happiest day of my life because I was like, Yes, I made it into hospitality. For me, right. whether it's you cleaning plates or you're looking after, you know, whoever that might be, you know, it's still getting a step into that ladder, into hospitality. And um, so yeah, I remember the, the first job that I had into hospitality was for this agency, but they placed me into uh, Grubner uh, Hotel. So big hotel and one of the areas that I was working was in their staff canteen. You know, they do some big events there and, and you know, and it was perfect. And I did it for about, you know, maybe about six weeks. And I went into, I think Andy was the gentleman that that I'd given me this opportunity. And I sat with him and I said, look, I'm very happy you've given me the opportunity. However, you know, I can, I come from a background that I have experience and, you know, I can do so much more. I can see, you know, people that, you know, like because sometime I'd be working in the canteen and sometime I'd go and help them a little bit. And I, I, I could see people that had less experience than me. And I said, but a bit better English. So I, I just said, if you give me an opportunity, I can prove you, I can do this. So he goes, you know, Why don't you pop in on Wednesday, and we uh, we can we can we do a, a training, and the training was an hour, which it's things that I knew how to make before I started at my uncle's, and uh, it was very very basic training, and because of that, then that led to more like you know tra- uh, events, looking after uh, silver service events, and 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 so on and so on, but. What that did is that opened a lot of doors to, for me to work in a lot of different places. So, you know, I, I did about six months of working in House of Commons and working in, you know, different hotels around London. And, and it was it was great because then I would get to meet a lot of people and um, in, interact and my English was getting stronger and stronger. And, um, and then one of the uh, places that they put me was the Rufine Dining. Uh, yeah, Rufine Dining. And that was in the city. And that was Tower. And that was um, um, and when I was working over there, 
And it was mainly to do because part of what you do is like you either uh, a waiter in big events or at the time the Rufine Dining was a, a quite a respected uh, a restaurant. So in there I was doing a little bit of food running. And um, after a few weeks, they just said, you know, we, we really like what you do. Why don't you move to the bar? And I said, yeah, this is, this is why I'm here for. And um, so once I moved to the bar, uh, I moved as a, as a, as a bar back. And I remember being, if I can say, quite a lazy bar back, you know, like, and, and, and it's such a shame to say, because, you know, when, and, you know, I've, I've seen it happening in many places, but when, when you have agency, you know, for them being paid a minimum wage, you have people that are, you know, have a, a bit of a, a goal in life and want to do great. And then you have people that may, maybe they study, they're doing it for minimum wage and they're there to do you know, bare minimum. And I'd picked some very bad habits about going into it, just, you know, just doing my job, you know, but nothing, not going above and beyond, mm. which, you know, I was doing throughout. And um, and it was only when I met, you know, we had an Italian uh, bar back and it was only a bar back. So we were very on a similar role, but he was so much more advanced than me. And I, and, and I spent about six weeks with this guy and, you know, he changed completely my idea. And it wasn't about, you know, how much money you're earning. It was about, you know, the job that you're delivering. And he was a bar back. But then, you know, like the minute, the minute he had a, a time, he would jump on the floor and help them on the floor. The minute the bartender needed a bit of help just to make a couple of very basic cocktails, he would jump behind the bar. It was like everywhere. And I kind of like that kind of just went, wow, this is guy is incredible. And, and I kind of, you know, I had a bit of a like I need to be, you know, in the same level because if we're getting paid the same, you know, I cannot be the guy that, you know, like that our performance cannot have such a big gap. So for me, it was all about kind of I need to be on the same level as him. So I, I pushed, pushed, pushed. And by this by this time, he'd been offered a role. And, um, and, you know, they came to me and said, Dennis, we want to get you full time. And I was like, no, no, I still enjoy working everywhere. And, and it wasn't a, a gentleman, Simon, where the manager is like, he'd been asking me to join them full time for about four weeks. And I'd been on, no, I'm happy. I'm happy. I don't want to join you full time. And then he'd set me down in his office and he goes, okay, look, I, cause I don't think you understand me. <laughs> so he wrote down how much I was earning. And how many hours I was doing, which was, I don't know, it was X and doing 60 hours. And then he goes, you could be earning this much, which was a lot more, uh-huh. but doing 40 hours. And he goes, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you join us? If, if you want, you know, you can still do a bit of work around. But that means, you know, if you don't mm-hmm. like you can do your solid 40 hours. So he convinced me to join them full time. And, 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 I want to give you a raise. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's okay. I don't I'm, okay. I'm, I'm happy. I love that sitting here as the head barman at Claridge's. I can't believe this story. It's, but you, you know, well, you know what? You know, so in there, I went from being a bar back to a bartender to a head bartender and to the assistant manager because they uh-huh. didn't. So the manager was the, hot, the the restaurant and the bar together. So they had up to assistant managers. So I'd done about four and a half years. But, you know, when I when we were moving house many, many, many years later, what I found, and I think I still got it at home. I hope I haven't lost it. But I found a Claridge's card. And it's it's a it's it's I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I think it's 
we think you're a star card. So what it means is, you know, like if you, if they have someone senior into management or HR and they go and they see someone that's very uh-huh. good, they give them this card and they say, why don't you contact us? So this is them scouting right. people to come and work at Claridge's. And at the time I was like, who's Claridge's? What is this? So I must have put it on the pocket. <gasps> and I found it like five, six years later. And, I, and then you, you always wonder, what would he... What would have happened? What would have right. happened if I came? But I, I mean, I, I worked in many other places afterwards. But in in some way, I'm happy that I worked and gained experience in other places, and 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 I didn't come straight to Claridge because I think you know maybe well, I wouldn't be. Well, you well, are who you are yeah, now because yeah. of your experience. That, obviously, that's that's let's correct. talk about um, you went on to work in. You know, Rue was the first restaurant of that's, many. Was, yes. What do you think you learned from um, working in those restaurants that you then brought to here, Claridge's, a hotel? Like, what are the differences? You, you yeah, know, a I mean, bit about the you your know, experience for, in restaurants. Yeah, I think for for me, I think the the the. The first one was I was still very young and I, I think it was a, a little bit kind of, you know, working my way up because, you know, back home, I, you know, it's a very, very different experience. So now, you know, at the Rue, uh, Rue Fine Dining, I got introduced to cocktails. So this is where I learned a lot of my basic cocktail knowledge. And I think one of the, one of the very, very important things for me in there was getting that, you know, the the, the, the structure of my knowledge and experience getting it right you know a little bit like a house foundation mm-hmm. you know you need to get that right before you move elsewhere then that's why I, I kind of stayed there four and a half years and I think it was the introduction to cocktails the creativity side of it how do you work with kitchen at the time I, I don't think it was so much but at later stage I think it was a bit more the work um, after that I, I moved into um we i did a about it that one was i think very very the, one of my first moves that was very challenging after that it, it became a bit easier but you know because i'd done all my experience was in one place so my cv even though you have roofine dining and even though i'd had a lot of different experiences it was the only one so i think uh, i worked um, then I, I moved to mayfair working for brian turner for a year and that was a uh, it was it was a completely different. Uh, I I did uh, I I was very young head bartender um, at the time. I had a very small team, only about five people that worked for me. But one of the things that you know we did in there um, was that um, just changing a little bit the mindset because you know once I started you know I'd, I'd, I'd be doing like sixty hours. They had a lot of things that needed to change. So, you know, I'd, I'd be doing 60 hours. And then after about six months, you know, you change your menu. The team is performing at a much better level. The revenues are getting a little bit stronger. You work in, in a much better relationship with the restaurant. and Because I think for me, I think it's key, you know. You know, you can do great things in the bar, but especially when you are a bar restaurant, the key to the success is working with the restaurant. So when they go, you know, do they recommend a little cocktail to start with? Because, you know, every every penny counts, you know. You can either go straight onto a bottle of wine, you know, imagine about you being in the restaurant, or you have an aperitif and a bottle of wine. Right, of course. And that's an extra 12, 15 pounds on your bill, you know. Mm-hmm. A party of two, party of four, it adds up. So, you know, like it, for me, it's always been very, very important on how do we get the them to upsell, where it's an aperitif or a little digestive or, you know, or if someone is not, not drinking, maybe rather than having a lemonade or a Coke, can we get the barman to create you an, an alcoholic cocktail? That's an extra two, three pounds on the bill. Mm-hmm. And um 
after about six months, I remember uh, sitting down with uh, our manager at the time and saying, I've, I have something I need to propose. I can propose it to you or we can sit down with HR because it involves a little bit of a change of structure. And um, they were like, okay, a bit bored, but it's <laughs> so like you know, a 23-year-old telling them this. So we'd sat down with HR and them. And, you know, and this was a little bit about you know, kind of understanding that you know, I know that hospitality, we work a lot of hours and, but, you know, sometime I think you, it's very good to get that balance right. And then what they had in there was a 20-hour variance. So I sat down with them and I said, you know, for the last six months, um, I've been doing it. I haven't asked you a penny for it because, you know, it's, I'm a head bartender. You know, there's a lot of things that needed to be tidied up, ironed out, menus. Mm-hmm. And um, however... Six months down the line, you know, I don't want to be carrying on doing 20 hours without. So, well, you have had bartender. It's expected of you. Well, it doesn't say that in my contract. In my contract, it's 40 hours like everyone else. So I have three options. Um, and they were like, okay, we're, we're here. And I said, the first option is going to cost you the most. And that's going to be get a part-time person, 20 hours, you know. So, and they were like, well, we can't do that. But it's going to cost you on uniforms, on meals, and so on. Second, second option is where you split it between five of us. It's very easy, four hours. You know, you pay everyone. It's fair with everyone. And I said, the third option is not going to cost you anything. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and, they're, and, and then I remember telling them. And, so I, and I present them a rota, which I had done. And it was basically working four days on, three days off. And they're like, well, we don't do that with any other department. Why would we do that? I said, well, you know, we have three options you can choose. You know, you've got to... You are so week. cheeky. Uh, but, but at the same time, I think it's, you know, it's uh-huh. fair, you know, like... Uh, and so what did they uh, pick? Uh, they, the last one, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was, you know, like the team, then, you know, they could see the team performing at a much better level. And, and it was like doing basically two long days. So you do two doubles. And then you have three normal shifts. You do about 41, but you get three days off. And then, you know, it's, it's very important because one of the days off could be, you know, development. It uh-huh. could be, you know, you're, you're, looking into, you're looking into ingredients, you're doing your research. But um, one of the things that, you know, when I was there, um, it's one of the bartenders that I, I, I admire a lot. And I've learned so much from him, you know, because sometimes you learn from people that you work with, but sometimes you learn from people that, you know, work in the industry. And uh, when, on my split shifts, what I used to do is, uh, I don't know if you know a gentleman called Brian Silver. Yes, of course. You know, you know Brian. Yeah. Uh, well, I love Brian. And so he used to run Scots just around the corner. Mm. And uh, so I used to go on my break, on my two hours break, I used to go and see Brian. And I had a, I always had this very, you know, not drinking on duty. So I would not go to, but I would sit at the bar and have a, you know, coffee or water. And I would spend two hours talking, <laughs> talking uh, with him. And, uh, and he would just basically go talk to me about his rare collection of vermouths. And he'll talk to me about gin and all the latest gadgets and, you know, wonderful products that he's got behind the bar. So it's for me, I kind of had like a once a week masterclass. A very lesson in bartending, yeah, right? By Brian Silva, which is amazing. And we and because of that, we kind of formed a, you know, a, a good relationship. And, you know, and to this day he comes, I go and see him. And, and uh, but then the next move from there, which I did a year for Brian Turner, the next move from there led me to a place that Brian used to run for five years when he moved from Boston to London was Institute of Directors. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, you know, he'd introduced me to the team over there, 
I opened the bar, worked two years there. Again, it was that was, you know, it was a good experience. It was a new opening, which I hadn't done before. But it was a bit, you know, I did two years and, you know, it's a, it's a business club. So it was a bit more kind of a relation, a little bit introduction to wine, which I haven't, I didn't have a wine background before. It was very much cocktails. So in there I got to know a little bit and do things like WCT, level one, level two, level three, which was, you know, very important as you, you know, progress and, and move and move up. And then... Um, and I think Brian was at the at the Connold as well, you know, running b- before it closed for innovation, and um, and then I um, because of I think Brian, I got the job at at uh, Gordon Ramsay. He'd introduced me again to the team, and um, again you and were still in restaurants, still in restaurants, uh-huh. but but always looked after kind of the bar element of it. Mm-hmm. And then I think when we kind of moved into. Gordon Ramsay, this was a Michelin star. So they'd been open for a year. Um, it was run, up and running. I think they got the Michelin star after four months they'd open. And did you work with the chefs yes. to create? It was, yeah. yeah, in there, I think I, in there we did. But, you know, again, you know, you're, you have a restaurant that's doing 150 covers, lunch, 170, 180 dinners. So as much as we could in terms of cocktail development and flavors. That's and, what I mean. That's cocktail development. You yeah. know, did they have leftovers that you used for, you know, I, that kind of thing? I think at the time it, that wasn't very, no, wasn't. very uh, trendy of using. I think it was more more to do with the fact that, you know. I guess that's more um, now. Yeah, I, th- uh-huh. I think it was more, more. yeah, it, it, it is more. I uh-huh. think the last two, three, four right. years maybe. Um, but I think you know when I was at uh, Gordon Ramsay, so I did two years there as a bar manager, so which was great, and I had a much bigger team of about thirteen people there, and, and it, it was more about flavors, you know, like talking to each other uh, rather than oh, you know, I, I, I you know, we, mm-hmm. we need you to do this syrup, or it okay. was more about oh, you know, you got a new menu out, you know, the seasonality of it more than anything, you know, how do we then use this particular flavors that are in season right now and kind of, you know, create something new on the menu. It must have been really exciting because Gordon Ramsay then was, and still is, you know, hugely famous. Yeah, I think at the time, Uh, I think one of the first years that I was there, he went on opening seven restaurants, which was, uh, it it was at at his peak, you know. So Jason Atherton was there, which now he runs the city social group. um, And a lot of the team that were... His sous chefs now, you know, lead their own restaurants. and which So as great. head bartender, it must have been very exciting. So how were you drawn to where we are now, Claridge's? Um, so, so for me, I think Claridge's is always because, you know, working around the corner, um, Claridge's became a bit a bit of, you know, so when you'd finish work, you, we knew the team would come in here and you would go, wow, this is the, the place I want to be. This is the the hotel that I would love to work on. So for about two years, that was at the Maze. First of all, we opened Maze in Prague. We opened Maze Grill. And then I was very, very close to be moving with. So Angela Hartnett at the time was opening uh, Albany New York and Moranos. And I was very close to kind of thinking of moving because I was looking. It's been two years. I'm looking for a new challenge. And then the manager of the bar, of the uh, Claridge's bar, has uh, left, which I had a very, very good relationship with him. So he comes to me and goes, Dennis, just to let you know, I've, I'm moving on. I think you should apply for the job. 
And my answer, no. So I, I, you know, when you work in the in the industry, and maybe you find this, but I always find, you know, you never switch off. So whenever you go in a place, you're very observant. You know, I, I try to. I think when I go with my wife, I try and switch off because it drives her crazy when I pick up things that, you know, like they're not doing right. And she's like, can we just enjoy each other's company rather than you saying they're picking up the glass this way? So, you know, I, I try to switch off a little bit. However, you know, you can't help when you see a team doing a great job and a team performing at a level that, you know, you you admire and you, you see, wow, this is, you know, hospitality done at, uh, you know, at a, at a whole different level so whenever i used to come here i always you know used to pick up on these things whether it's claridge's bar or fumar i remember the fumar having you know one of the best cigars uh cigar list in the country and um and i used to go in there and enjoy a cigar or whiskey a cognac and um and i knew uh daniel which was at the time was the assistant manager and I, I kind of I looked up to him and I always thought that he would be a great person, a great leader that I can learn from. So when I got asked to apply for the job, my answer was no. And the reason for that, I knew, and then this is might not be, but sometimes I think you've got to be very realistic where you are and what experience you have gained. And with that experience, we're learning lots of positive, but, you know, sometimes we pick up negatives as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a leader, as a manager, you need to be very realistic. And one of the weaknesses that I had was a very, you know, like either my way or the highway approach, which you pick up sometime when you work with very big names and um, and, I, and I always thought that you know if I come into Claridge's you know that there's for two two reasons you know first Claridge's work with a lot of regulars that have been coming for many many years and uh, so it's always nice to come as a number two being introduced as this is Dennis rather than you know as the number one mm-hmm. it, it has a, a slightly different feel um, and then and then secondly was my management style and that's why I felt that I wasn't ready for Claridge's so I felt that I if I come in, either I'm going to lose some amazing people or they're going to gang up on me and I'm not going to pass probation. And I was like, I knew that in my heart. And I, even though a lot of people were saying, Dennis, you should apply and see how it goes. I, I in my heart, it was just no. So you didn't apply? I didn't apply. So I, I, I but Daniel, fortunately, I, I always said I would love to work for Daniel. So Daniel got the job. And I remember coming in and my assistant had applied about four months ago for a different role. And I don't think they got back to her. So I wasn't sure whether it was because they knew our general manager or... So I said, if I apply and they don't get back to me, it's going to be a bit... Uh... So I said, I'm going to go straight to, you know, had that, you know, straight, yeah, go straight to... So I remember coming in in Claridge's bar and it was like so busy at four o'clock in the afternoon. Daniel was, you know managing helping behind the bar doing a bit of everything and i said hey daniel i i can see um that you're very busy i'll come and see you a different time he said no 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 wait for me and i was like I, i'll come out you're very busy he said no wait for me so i i I'll wait there 20 minutes feeling like oh he's busy and then he was like what, what, what do you need and, and i said no i don't need anything i just wanted to ask you a very quick question please be a peer pro- um be honest with me. I said, there's no hard feeling. We're, we're good friends. You know, I can, I'm a big, big guy. So I can, I can hold the, I, I can, um, I can appreciate your honest right. feedback. I said, if I applied, would I have a chance of getting the role? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. 
He said, "You're. I, I think you would be great for the role. You're exactly what we're looking for, um, but you should apply. We're seeing different candidates, and you know how it is in this. You know, it's a uh, five people that have to have to say yes. So it depends. You know how you do. So I said, yeah, fine. That's all I wanted to hear. So I, you know, applied, and I think I'd had about five interviews, and I was, <laughs> I got told um, I only had to see one gentleman, which was uh, at the time was Philip Leboeuf." And um, which is a gentleman that I kind of I loved working with him for, uh, for you know however he long he was here afterwards, uh, but he actually came to Mace to have dinner, and it was uh, it was one of those moments where you go like, don't he's mess up here. the drink you know he, he's not here to have dinner he you can see you yeah, know, like his uh, eyes just checking every move that I'm making. Obviously, and, uh, you did it fine. I, I did it fine. Here. I, I, like, my heart was uh, a bit like now, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, and that was you know then Sally, our uh, um, uh, HR manager at the time, uh, called me up and said, you know, I, I think you understand why Mr. Leboeuf was there last <laughs> night, but we are delighted to kind of tell you that uh, you got the role. So and then I did, yeah, two years as Daniel's number two, uh, which was great and. In many ways, I'm so happy that I did that move because, you know, the role of assistant manager here felt a lot bigger than the role of manager where I was before. And what I mean by that is, you know, like, as I said to you, you know, every single place, I always had this attitude that, you know, every single place has lots of, you know, pluses and a lot of minuses and you know I always try to focus on the pluses it's the same like when you work with a great manager you learn a lot but when you work with a bad manager you still learn a lot you just learn how not to do things you know so I always had that approach on focus on the positive you know element of what you picking up and what you're learning throughout your career you know coming into Claridge's um, you you had been working at you know one of the top restaurants yes. in the world at that time yes Claridge's is a whole different kettle of fish. Yes, I mean, this absolutely. is one of the most famous Holy hotels great. in the world. <laughs> yeah, if not the most famous hotel in the world um, with, uh, you know, a whole set of rules and I'm sure regulations and history and all of that is thrown at you mm-hmm. and you hadn't been in a hotel yet. How, you know, how did you manage all that or, or how did you feel? Were you, were you, obviously you weren't scared because yeah. you took the job, no. but you know that I call it the burden of history on top of your shoulders. You know, what was that like uh, the first few years? And yeah, I mean, you know, did for, you like it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I loved it from the moment I joined in. Uh, one of the things that, you know, really worked in my fear, because by this time I'd done a lot of restaurant bars. And by this time I was a bit kind of going, what's next? You know, like I've done a lot of restaurant bars, but, you know, what you have to understand, you know, when you do restaurant bars, restaurant always comes first. Mm-hmm. If you have a Michelin star, right. Michelin star always comes first. Even though they say, Dennis, get the bar busy, you cannot get the bar busy. because It's all about trying, the chef. Yeah, when you're trying to relay a table, because, you know, if someone comes in and has three, four cocktails, there's a 60-pound bill. If someone, if you're reselling that restaurant table and moving the people to have coffee or dessert in the bar, you just made another three, four hundred, right. because that could be a, a, a dinner bill, which is, you know... Worth right, thousands, right. or or a thousands, yeah. It right. depends on what wine right. they have. Um, so always, you know, bar came came second. And what I really, for me, I think what was one of the biggest, uh, you know, one of the things that made me very very happy. Then now, all of a sudden, now this is a a bar that even though it's a part of the hotel and we respecting the 
the heritage and we're respecting the clientele of the hotel this is still being treated a bit a bit as a neighborhood bar as well so we have you know like when you think about mayfair where is positioned it is a lot of people that work and live in the area so it's it is residential as well as you know a lot mm. of people working so you know like when you come into an environment like this it's, a, it's about understanding a lot of guests you know and, and one of the things that played on my advantage was that i'd worked two minutes across the road so a lot of the guests it was your neighborhood in, bar yeah yeah, yeah yeah so a lot of you know so first i knew how they make guests feel you know like what you know the warmth of the service that I always received coming as a guest you know now all of a sudden I, this is you know what i'm trying to achieve with my team to deliver it and um and so you know like working for the for kind of two years with daniel was for me still and, and and as I told you before, you know, like when when you were when I was at Maze, it's very much you know part of the management was you know putting a menu together, managing the team. You're very much you know on shift for at least ten twelve hours a day, um, but you know you don't you're not working on any any budgets. You're not working on any strategies. You're not working. You're not looking from a business point. What we're going to do in a year, two year time? You know how is like our you know champagne? You know if we we always said we have one of the finest champagne menus in the country, um, or you know whiskey. It's a big big part of what we do. You know how how are we invest in what are we get in that's super unique that people cannot are not able to get. Um, anywhere else and that's for us I think you know like so even as a system manager I was involved in so many more projects than I was as a manager so for me I never seen you know manager assist and oh I took a step it wasn't a step back it was a step forward you know and uh, and then yeah two years working with Daniel he's a he's a great leader and a and a person that will know exactly what he's working on and you know what I'm working on so we very kind of we, we didn't work together but you know, on shift, but we are always working towards the same goals or always towards the same targets uh, together. So, you know, he had his projects, I had my projects, you know, in shift as well. He'd work during the day, I'd work during the night, but then we'd have our weekly catch up and then we say, okay, this is the project that we're working, how we get in there. Um, you know, it's interesting what you said about um, it being a neighborhood place. And even though this is such a famous hotel, such a... Uh, l- I, luxurious space and obviously a luxury hotel but um you know it's so beautiful it's it's such a beautiful place that but when you walk in it's not a but really when you walk in it is so friendly and um some people may not be able to stay here financially they can't afford to stay yeah. here but you can have a drink at the bar so you know, it's it is such a welcoming place, and um, and one feels that. Yeah, and absolutely. why I'm saying this is that at, in a restaurant, people are there to eat and go. Here is a place, and I imagine the first time in a while that you had had this as a place where you see people all the time. Yeah. You know, you're not just making the drinks for someone who's eating yeah. at a restaurant, but you are getting those regulars again yeah, yeah. from when your uncle's yeah, restaurant. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. You know, and you're and, engaging with them and you kind of trying to create an experience for them. And, you know, how do we, you know, I think one of the, you know, it's, it's, it's we work in such a competitive market. And I think it's, you know, one of the things is how do we make, people come back over when we you know as a nature you know like you 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 don't want to go to the same restaurant every single day you want to try something different it's the same exactly the same with the same bars Mm -hmm. with the bars so for me i think you know like one thing that i always try to 
get the team to understand it's you know how do we build up new regulars because it's it's a circle of life you know like i find, i always see myself you know we used to live in central then we moved a bit further out in london then you all have a family you move outside of london and we it's the same for our regulars you know we have regulars that lived in london you know and used to come three three four times a week now all of a sudden they live in the countryside they come once a week or once a month so how do you then build that regular clientele you know in an ever changing industry where people are moving on and you know they want the next big thing or before we started recording we were talking about the menu a little mm-hmm. and you were saying that the menu pretty much is stays the same you know tell me a little bit about yeah, so that I, I you know i mean we we change the menu a lot but what we what we don't do is that you know like Nowadays, I think this has become a bit of a trend that people spend a lot of money on their menus and, you know, having this concept menus. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think we, we haven't done that. I mean, we we know that we are a five-star, you know, five-star deluxe and we know that our strengths is we do more champagne and more whiskey than we do cocktails. However, you know, like when you look at the, the cocktail side, we always said we need to be able to cater to different to different people. So, you know, like our menus change, you know, seasonal and, you know, we, I think in each bar we have about between 25, around the 25 cocktails in each bar. I think the Fumoir has always been a bar that has created twist on classics more than anything else, whereas Claridge's bar is a little bit more free for people to be a bit more creative, but yet at the same time, understanding that, you know, like we, we have guests that have been coming here for many, many years, you know, so if they like a specific cocktail, um, you know, are we have it in the menu or if we don't have it in the menu, can we still do it? Even if it's, you know, we have cocktails that we moved on the menu six years ago and I got asked two days ago, we had a group of three guests coming in. And they said, do you do this cocktail? And I was like, you haven't been here for a while. And they're like, yeah, five years. And I was like, yeah. But they, they, they loved the idea. You know, they ended up going to our new restaurant, Davison Brook, uh, for dinner. They, they, they hadn't booked, so I, I organized the table for them. But as I'm showing them there, they were so appreciative. You said, you know, it's not many places that you, you haven't been in for five years. And you ask for a drink and they can still make it. Right. Uh, so we, we, we try and do that as much as we can. But at the same time, do kind of subtle changes on the menu because we understand how important for, you know, palates have changed and, you know, guest drinking habits have changed. And, you know, how do we stay within, um, um, you know, like what's on trend right now? And that's for me, it's very important, you know, like and I, I try and do as much traveling and I try and do as much kind of going to different seminars and, and, and also, you know, going out to drink into different places to see what they're doing and, and so on and so on. So our menus then, you know, are in the same level, but it's not necessarily seen as just one big change and then it's going to change everything mm-hmm. in six months again or mm-hmm. a year. Well, I guess that kind of leads us to mm-hmm. today yes. and this wonderful book that's coming out. Yep. And can you tell me a little bit about it? Um, yeah, so the book should should be coming out. Yeah, fifteenth of March. It's a uh, uh, it's called Mixing with the Bright Young Things by uh, Cecil Beaton, and um, so yeah, this we started working on this book uh, from October. We uh, we were approached by the National Portrait Gallery, and uh, as soon as they asked me, I said yes. 
And they said, well, we, we, they said, you know, we're doing a cocktail book. And I said, yes, I'm in. I think it was Paula that uh, asked the question. I said, I'm in. And she said, well, I haven't told you what it is. I was like, doesn't matter. I'm in. <laughs> as soon as she kind of, you know, always been fascinated by this 1920s and 1930s and an era where, you know, like the prohibition style, uh, prohibition was happening. And so, you know, we sat down with the National Portrait Gallery and, you know, the more they said about the project, the more they said about Cecil Beaton, which I kind of did a little bit of research myself because I haven't heard of Cecil Beaton before. And uh, the the more we got talking about it, the more interested the book became. Um, and um, so the idea, you know, like the, the idea is that we would use a lot of the photography, a lot of the drawings that he'd done around 1920 to 1937. Um, and they wanted to do an exhibition, which uh, will be from 15th of March until 7th of June. And um, they wanted to do a book with it. So I said, fantastic, you know, and well, what what are we looking at? So we, they said, we want to look 1920 till 1937. Perfect. And I, and you know, like one of the first questions that I had is, you know, do we do this as a, a group? Do we do this as, and it was very clear that they were, you know, Claridge's was the only one that would be, um, which is, which is great. And then, um, and then we looked at, you know, we were trying to, how do we then input what we do in nowadays a little bit? And, um, and for me, you know, looking at books like this, you always think, you know, I want to show a little bit our creativity. However, you know, kind of, you know, or what we're doing now, because the the, the palette and the the taste, what we like now, it's changed, you know, so much since then. Um, and you know, how do we bring that across a little bit? And um, so I, I said, you know, that's fine. So we we kind of, you know, looked at a little bit of the brief, uh, but we also said, you know, I'm going to put some classic cocktails as a first and I was very interested to see what they would put you know I said what would what do you have in mind you know what for you what do you are you looking for something that really defines that 1920 to 1937 um, and that was my biggest question because that gives me an understanding you know that is the only era or because then and then you know the more I spoke with them then they would through things like oh julep Oh, old fashioned. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. This is not, we're not talking about 1920s, 1937 here. We're talking even before. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, then, then we need to understand, you know, I need for, if really? I'm putting the cocktails together, I need to understand, first of all, what is the era that you want to, to focus mm-hmm. on. So then we kind of, because for them, I think, you know, the book, it's all about the bright young things, you know, people that were creating these beautiful parties and around London and maybe some of them were hosted at Claridge's and, you know, and uh, Cecil Beaton and, you know, doing the photography, doing the drawings for them or I think some of the... the, the uh, right, clothing, uh, costume clothing, design. Clothing, right. Costume design, yeah, absolutely. And... Uh, so then, you know, then we said, you know, so then the cocktails maybe could be that they were either being created during that time, enjoyed during that time, or cocktails that I've created. And when I say I, it's it's not only me, it's myself and the team, but cocktails that we've created now, but looking back at that era. And that's the moment we had that, then it became very, you know, kind of I had my framework of what I'm working towards. Because the bright young things were also super modern in their time. Yes, yes So you... Are being super modern right yeah. now, so it would have been terribly sad if you couldn't have put in your modern take on yeah. things because it's about they were all about modernity, really. It was, yeah, absolutely, and and you know, but at the same time, I think we wanted a book that if people 
And this is where it comes, it becomes a bit more tricky because I can, we, we can create a cocktail which has all the, you know, amazing spirits and then homemade products and, but, but how realistic is it? You know, can you read and go like, oh, I can prepare this. I've right. got 20 no, friends right. over. You know, I've got 20 friends over. Can I prepare it at home? Right. And you, you need know? to make like pine needle yeah. syrup yeah. All or of something. A sudden, right? yeah. All of a sudden you're cooking for half an right, hour. Exactly. So are we cooking or are we drinking later? And so, you know, like one of, and one of the things that we said is that we need to have, you know, drinks that are very realistic you know they shouldn't be too it's very kind of too, you, yes. too complex but you know that that's the beauty of it is that you know if you're having a cocktail party and especially if you're theming it around the bright young uh-huh. things and you know then you are able to create it you know around that uh, and around those ingredients and then there is a part of the book where we put um you know where we put in there um it, it, you know like for me to be honest it's, it's this particular book it's not something that's you know for bartenders and I always said it, you know, like if someone's going to see it and it's going to go, oh, you know, this is not the recipe from the 1920s. It's for the home but, bartender. But, but, it's oh, for the but, home home bartender, absolutely. right? But also the ingredients don't taste similar to the right, what we course. tasted in the 1920s. So, you know, like well, I, I put a, one a part at the beginning where I said, you know, the ingredients that we use, it's ingredients that our guests enjoy. It's 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 products that we enjoy. It's the balance that, you know, like when I make it, this is what our guests, you know, I've always been a big fan of wherever you go, you know, I might say, oh, my, my daiquiri is the best. However, if I go in a place and the guests like a daiquiri a certain way, I need to adjust my style because it's all about the guest. It's not about Dennis. You know, in here, you know, just to give you an idea, but Claridge is 54% of our clientele is American. So when I came in here um, and one of the first thing that, you know, one of the bartenders made was a martini. And I was like... So it's like, you know, we the way we prepare the martini and, and that's what I put on the book. It's three sprays of vermouth and um, gin or vodka. So we use in Plymouth or Cattle One uh, straight out of the freezer, uh, bone dry and at minus 19. And when I looked at the first time I looked at that, I was like, that's not martini. Martini for me, it's a three part to one ratio and it's either stirred, shaken, mm-hmm. preference to the guest. But that is the martini for me. However, you know, if a guest likes it a certain way and we, we're known, I think, you know, like us or the Dukes and Connold and this is beautiful institutions, we are known for our martinis. I think if I, if I pull the report, you know, three best cocktails, it will be martini Negroni old fashioned in that order. So I said, what, why change the, the way right. we prepare the martini? So in the book, it has it that way. <laughs> and, you know, like some people will go, that's not, but, but that's, that's the way we make it. And, and it's the same with the ingredients and with the brands that we put in there. You know, we, for example, we put, you know, Michter's or Maker's Mark or Plymouth or, but that's the brands that we work of with. Of course. You know, and I, I put, you know, a, a, a something in there where I said, you know, if you're using different brands, you can use, you know, it's your home. If you have Beefeater or if you have Absolute, whatever, whatever you have in your home, if you're using those, just, just check the balance, you know, and, and it needs to be to your preference, you know, and then and be creative, it, like be creative. the bright young things were, That's right? It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and, and then when we are, um, the other thing that when we were looking at the cocktails, uh, you know, we I, I kind of did a bit of well, a bit a lot of research about you know um, when you look at the Savoy cocktail book and you know and you go through all these recipes and and some of the recipes that the the, the people that were working with that they sent me compared to mine, what they had was they were very very similar. So I had to take so first of all, you know what you have to understand that if you read 
and I'm not sure if you did, but a book like the Savoy cocktail book from the 1930s, you have cocktails that I can 100% be honest and say I never made in 21 years. So then, you know, I kind of looked at the, 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 we have 63 recipes that have made it into the book. And I looked at what recipes can we put there that it's familiar with the with the readers because you know you have so many classic cocktails but you know so we said it needs to be from 1920 to 1937 uh, either created that time enjoyed that time or created now looking back at that era needs to be for a, a customer that you know can prepare it at home but at the same time needs to be a, like a familiar drink because you know and then and, and i tried to put a bit of diversity in there as well because a lot of them are gin vermouth citrus uh-huh. gin vermouth bitters and you're like okay well if we have about <laughs> six or seven of those exactly the same but just the measurement different so i try to then you know make it a little bit change a few things around but have all your all the all the you know basic classic um, I, I always say you know when it comes to to cocktails i always you know when we train the team i always use this you know, three category because, you know, you have people that come and are very, very experienced, but you also have, especially with waiters, waitresses, um, you have people that maybe don't have as much experience. So I always, always say to them because, you know, it's how you learning, you know, because it's no point you learning everything about one, but then you haven't learned about everything else. So I always say, break it down in three categories and it goes classic, uh, forgotten classics and contemporary classics. And then, you know, for classics, I would always put your Negroni, Martini, Old Fashioned. Right. Forgotten classics in there, you can put your Hanky Panky, you can put your Vucarese. Um, and then, you know, the contemporary classics are your Espresso Martinis and, and, and you know, and Cosmopolitans. And there are things that were created in the, you know, 60s, 70s, right. 80s, 90s. Um, but once you do that, you can go... You can go to each category and learn, let's say, 15 of your, you know, key ones. And once you got them, you go back into it and add another time, five or ten. And then your knowledge becomes so much more stronger rather than trying to learn 150, which then, you know, for your usual waiter or it becomes like, what are so many ingredients? You know, just break it down in three categories and then go into it 10, 10, 10. Then you add five, 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 and it just you your experience, you know your your product knowledge is getting better and better, and then you know like that's what I try to do in the book a little bit. I try to put you know um, your uh, the 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 classics. I try to put a little bit of forgotten classics, um, and then if you can say because we couldn't put espresso martini so but you know what we put in there is the contemporary we've done a Claridge's twist on it so you have you know some recipes that we've kind of added in there they are twist on you know like very subtle changes but you know we've done a, a fumar negroni in there which is you know with uh with apple sweet vermouth campari but where we kind of you know we infuse the gin with um, uh, coffee beans and then infuse the vermouth with chamomile and then we kind of wait until the uh, the um, the maceration is right and then we or normally it's about half an hour uh, and then we filter it and kind of blend them together and the reason why we don't put all in one because it depends on how the maceration is acting with the liquid and then we blend it all together so well, that's the full morning. It sounds round. delicious. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. Later In fact, on, I'm sure. Should we go and have one right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. All right. <laughs>
Over our cocktail of the week, Dennis revealed to me his favorite hotspots in London and around the world, plus his tips for the home bartender. So if you could drink anywhere other than Claridge's in London, what is your favorite spot? Uh, I love two places that I really, really love going. And, and that is because they do great classic cocktails or great cocktails in general. But also I think they have an amazing hospitality. And the first, it's our sister hotel, The Connaught. And I love both of the bars in there. And the second is Rules in Covent Garden. Uh, is that because your Brian Silva is there? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you could drink anywhere outside of London, do you have a favorite bar? I do. All right. Uh, it's uh, Nomad. Ah. In New York, I uh, visited for the last uh, two years. We we we've been going kind of on a work trips for the last two years, and uh, and then the first year, the first time actually, I went to New York. We ended up staying at the Nomad, and the team in there, Pietro Colina, which is now at Davis and Brook here with us, um, and uh, Nathan O'Neill, which is now the bar's director at both Nomad and Eleven Madison Park, hosted us as kind of did a bit of a masterclass for us, but also hosted us while we were having dinner and, and drinks. And I I just think their their cocktails first, it's an, a complete another level. But the the but also I think their hospitality uh, aspect it's uh, it's so inspiring to see and and you know their organizational structure when you see them work it, you can see how, how much work and it's gone into creating that structure the way it is. So do you have any top tips for the home bartender? Yes, for me, I think it's keep it simple. Uh, don't overcomplicate anything. And don't forget that the guest that you're hosting, hopefully, or uh, <laughs> that you're hosting, it's there for the to enjoy the evening. It's not there just to have a drink. Be hospitable, says Dennis. I guess that means sharing the recipe for our cocktail of the week. I promise I would never keep it from you. Our cocktail of the week is Claridge's signature version of the Negroni, created in the Fumoir Bar to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the Negroni cocktail in 2019, and simply called the Fumoir Negroni. Infuse 25 mLs of Heppel Gin with 3.5 grams of chamomile for 30 minutes. Also infuse 18 mLs of Martini Rosso, 25 mLs of Campari, and 7 mLs of Punte Mezcarpano with 3.5 grams of coffee beans separately for the same amount of time. After that time, fine strain the infusions into a mixing glass and stir with ice, ensuring that the flavors are well balanced. Then, fine strain all of that into an old-fashioned glass with an ice block. Garnish with an orange twist. You can find this recipe in the newly published cocktail book, Cecil Beaton, Mixing with the Bright Young Things, and at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all these measurements in ounces if you are slightly confused with all the MLs. Claridge's was the first hotel I ever stayed in. You could say, and you would be right, that my first introduction to London was pretty sweet. It was a long time ago, and I do wish I remembered more, but I will never forget how absolutely glamorous it was. 
Maybe that's why I walk around every day feeling so lucky to live in this fabulous city. If you live for Lush Life, would you consider supporting us by buying us a coffee? Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash lushlife and you can donate once or monthly to make sure we are still here every Tuesday. The music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Okay, the second part was mine. Next time will be Lush Life's 150th episode. So nowhere to go, but back to the beginning with a cocktail trading company. Until that time, bottoms up.